Judges chapter 16. Our study through Samson's life continues. Today's scripture reading comes from Judges chapter 16, verses 21 through 31. Judges 16, 21 through 31. This is God's word. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shekels. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after he had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him, and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Amen. If you knew you were dying, what would be your last dying prayer? I assume that it would depend on on many circumstances, whether you lived alone or had a family, and even with little children, whether you were dying comfortably in the hospital, in your home, surrounded by your family, or on a battlefield as a soldier. It would also depend on how you had lived your life, whether you are regretful for the way you lived, or you are content. Your last prayer would also show what kind of person you are, whether you were a believer or not, how mature you were as a believer, and what mattered to you the most. Today we'll take a look at Samson's last prayer, its context and its content. And we'll see how he serves as a foil to Jesus Christ, our true deliverer, and what it means for us to believe in Jesus Christ. As you can see in the text, Samson was finally captured by the Philistines. His eyes were gouged out, those eyes that had drawn him to many Philistine women, leading to his demise. 
He was imprisoned in Gaza, deep in the enemy territory, away from his home. And he was made to ground at the mill in the prison. Mark Boda says, by blinding and forcing him to grind grain, the Philistines are following ancient patterns for the treatment of male prisoners, especially as grinding grain was considered the work of women. The strongest man of Israel, Israel's judge no less, was incapacitated and subjected to women's labor. How humiliating this was. But the Philistines were not done with him. They brought him out, for the out of the prison to entertain them. We don't know what, made, what they made him do, but we can be sure that it was something degrading, humiliating. We know how cruel human beings can be, especially against their mortal enemies. So unbearable was the humiliation they inflicted on Samson that he prayed for vengeance, verse 28. We can readily sympathize with Samson's sorry state. We would hate to find ourselves at the end of our life in that kind of condition. But let's not forget why Samson was where he was. It was all because the Lord had left him, verse 20. The Lord left him because he breached the Nazarite vow by telling Delilah about that. There's no doubt that the Lord leaving Samson was the cause of his present misery. It left Samson weak and vulnerable to the Philistines' capture and abuse. For this alone, we should never wish that the Lord would leave us alone, ever. We all agree that the Lord leaving Samson was not a good thing. But in what way exactly? Was it more like taking the lid off a, of a food container which allowed the flies of misery to come in? Or was it more like a serious illness which shows itself through many symptoms? That is, all the misery Samson suffered at the hands of the Philistines. You see, the Lord leaving Samson was not just the cause of all the misery that followed. It was rather the essence of Samson's misery, the greatest of Samson's misery. We may agree with our mind that that is the case, but to accept it with our heart is not so easy. We are more afraid of physical, economic, financial, social damages which are obvious to us than spiritual damages that we cannot readily detect. But think about how David responded when he was confronted with his sin by Nathan, who told him, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. David simply replied, I have sinned against the Lord and accepted God's chastisement. But in Psalm 51, one of the psalms that he wrote about this great sin of his, he showed what he was really afraid of. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. More than all the sufferings that God would inflict upon his life and his family, he feared this more than anything else. 
that God would cast him out of his presence and take the Holy Spirit away from him. David spoke these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allowed him to be in touch with the true reality of things, especially what really, really mattered to his well-being. When the Lord left Samson, Samson became weak. For the Lord was his strength. But the Lord is more than that. He is the essence and fullness of life. What happens if he should leave and disrupt our fellowship with him? What makes life truly life will be missing. David described it this way. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. God is the foundation of our being and life. If that is the case, how do we walk or do anything when he's gone, when the earth shakes? I was nearby the Northway, North, Northridge earthquake, which had hundreds and hundreds of aftershocks. I remember being so scared. And I remember not being able to lie down to rest because it was shaking all the time. When the earth shakes, which is your foundation, how do you walk around and live? How do you even relax and rest on the couch when the couch is shaking all the time? And that is what spiritually happens to us when God leaves. And I hope that you would consider that the greatest of misery. The Philistines humiliated Samson at the temple of Dagon in Gaza. They gathered together to celebrate the capture of Samson, their greatest enemy. They did so by offering a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god. They praised Dagon saying, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. Verse 23. And when they saw Samson, they praised their God again. Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. What a stark, what a stark contrast this is to the Israelites. Did we see the Israelites celebrating and giving thanks to God when Samson, their judge, defeated 1,000 Philistines? all by himself, which was obviously a miraculous event. As a matter of fact, throughout the book of Judges, we do not see any instance of the Israelites celebrating and praising God for his deliverance. It's tragic that the Philistines should be so diligent in praising their non-existent God for something he had nothing to do with. But don't you think it's even more tragic that the Israelites, who had the one and only true God of heaven and earth, should be so derelict in their duties of serving Him and giving praise to Him for all the goodness that He had shown to Him. How are we doing in this regard? How mindful are we of all the benefits and favors that God had bestowed on us? How sincere and faithful are we to give thanks to him? David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is with me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
it's so easy for us to get fixated on a few problems we have and forget all his benefits, thousands upon thousands of them. It just amazes me, even as I look at my life, how my mind focuses on the little inconveniences that I have and forget all the wonderful things that God has done for me. But I realize that it's not just a numbers game. When you jam your pinky, it is hard to ignore that pain, even though all other parts of your body are doing well. But I want you to know that it is one thing to feel the pain in your pinky, but it is another to think and act like you had the most miserable life because your pinky is hurting. You see, while hurting, we can still give thanks that the little pain on our pinky is all we have and not a cancer or even more serious illnesses. So I'm not saying that we should ignore the difficulties that we face. They are painful, even as a little pinky hurts your whole body. But let us not forget how richly we are blessed. And that, that little pain we have should not characterize our life as the most miserable of all. We may think that as long as our pink is throbbing, we cannot be happy. But would you be happy once the throbbing pain is gone? There are sure to be other problems. If we think that we cannot be happy until all our problems are gone, we'll never be happy as long as we live in this fallen world. Surely a few problems we have at the moment should not negate all of God's blessings we already possess in Jesus Christ. Not to mention all the spiritual and eternal blessings we already possess in Jesus Christ. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient but things that are unseen are eternal. But let us not forget the most obvious, the dishonor that Samson and Israel brought to God. Oh, to think that Dagon, a pagan idol, should be thanked and praised more by the Philistines than Yahweh, the true God and Lord of heaven and earth, was praised by the Israelites, God's chosen people. When the Philistines praised Dagon for the capture of Samson, Israel's judge, they were declaring Dagon to be greater and stronger than Yahweh, Israel's God, and Samson's God. Should this matter because Dagon was not even real? Should God be jealous of a non-entity? Well, it's not that God was jealous of Dagon, which did not exist. What matters to God is people and their hearts. It is God who deserves praise and honor and glory from all peoples, for it is He who has made them and given them all that they possess and enjoy. If so, God deserves even more praise and thanksgiving from His people for His wonderful salvation. As He goes through the demeaning and dehumanizing treatment by the Philistines, 
Samson prays the very last prayer of his life, which was in two parts in verse 28 and 29. All throughout Samson's story, only two prayers are recorded in the Bible. Hopefully this doesn't mean that Samson prayed only twice in his entire life. The Bible doesn't record everything that happened. And it's hard to imagine that Samson did not pray at all during the humiliating incarceration in Gaza. The second and last prayer we see in today's passage may reflect what he had prayed during those dark moments in the prison. And this last prayer shows two things about Samson. One is his humility. O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. In his first prayer, there was no request for God's empowerment, even though he was facing 1,000 Philistines all by himself. He just went after them without a word of prayer, just with a jawbone, jawbone of a donkey, granted that the Holy Spirit rushed upon him to give him the strength. You see, his first prayer came after he defeated the Philistines. 1,000 of them. His prayer was for water because he was exhausted and thirsty from the battle. You see, humility was not what we found in that prayer. He was rather demanding and argumentative with God. You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? But in this last prayer, Samson humbly asked the Lord to remember him. He recognized that the Lord had left him and for a good reason too. With his eyes gouged, he finally saw that he deserved to be forgotten by God, left to rot in the Philistine prison in Gaza, away from his family and kinsmen all alone. His sense of entitlement was all gone. Yet out of desperation, he pled with God in humility. Twice he said, please, please. He asked God to remember him despite all his follies and sins. That is humility. A proud person would not ask for help. He would accept that he got what he deserved and that would be the end of it. He has too much pride to ask for mercy for what he did not deserve. In many ways, that is an admirable quality. We don't want to be needy freeloaders. But the problem is, can we be anything other than needy supplicants in our dealings with God? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In the prison, blind, finally Samson saw his helplessness and he humbly asked God to remember him. What God allowed to happen in Samson's life was not pleasant, but that is what Samson needed to be humble in the very thing which used to be the biggest source of his pride, his supernatural strength. So in this last prayer, he prays, please strengthen me only this once, O God. 
In his weakness, he cries out for God's strength. He doesn't even ask to be restored in his strength as before. He simply asks God to strengthen him just one more time. Here is a man at the lowest point of his life begging for God's mercy. But unfortunately, that is not all we see in this last prayer. Samson ends his prayer in this way. That I may be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes, let me die with the Philistines. Don't you find this disappointing? Even at this low point, Samson did not fully get it. He recognized his weakness and helplessness, but he was not still free from his preoccupation with himself. He was seething with anger for all the cruelty that the Philistines inflicted on him. And his prayer, his last prayer, was fueled by that red-hot rage. It was neither for Israel's deliverance nor God's glory that he asked for God's strength. It was for his vengeance that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes, he prayed. That's amazing, isn't it? You wonder what went through his mind as he suffered all the miserable consequences of his folly and sin in the prison. Did he repent of his numerous sins against God? Not only the profligate life that he led and the secret he divulged to Delilah, but also the gross negligence of his duty as Israel's judge? It seems like the loss of his eyes and the humiliation he suffered and the vengeance he wanted to exact on the Philistines dominated his thoughts, even in the prison. But you see, what is even more amazing is God's response. Of course, there is no explicit statement about what God did in this passage, but we see that Samson's prayer was answered, which could not happen without God's supernatural intervention. That God strengthened Samson to bring down Dagon's temple implies that God remembered Samson as well. How gracious God is. It almost seems like God cannot resist the humble cry of his needy people for help. After all, he is the one who promised, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Not only that, he promised, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. What a great blessing it is that the Almighty God should remember us. Remember all the remembrances of God? throughout the Bible God remembered Noah and caused the rain that flooded the earth to stop God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah God remembered Rachel and she was able to bear children finally God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and delivered the people of Israel from the Egyptian bondage 
The eschatological salvation of God's people will come when God remembers his steadfastness and faithfulness to the house of Israel, to true Israel. When God remembers, he acts and causes great and mighty things to happen. When God remembers you, your life will not be the same. But if God remembered Samson, it was not because God had forgotten Samson and Samson reminded him by his desperate prayer. The Lord had left him earlier, not because he did not love Samson or because he was fickle, but because Samson breached his vow with God. Even so, as we saw last week, God only removed his presence of empowerment, not his presence of salvation. God cannot forget his people. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even they may forget, but I will never forget you. I have engraved you with the palms of my hands, God says. Samson had often forgotten about God, but God never did. You see, it is impossible for God to forget his people. Not only because he's an omniscient God, how can an all-knowing God forget anything? But also because he loves his people with his deep, eternal love. You see, God remembering his people is not just an intellectual phenomenon. It is a prelude to his action to help and deliver his people from their trouble. With the help of God, Samson was able to topple the temple of Dagon and kill all those that were gathered there to worship Dagon and make mockery of Samson. The Philistine lords and the 3,000 Philistines. And this incident ends with this note. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. These words evoke mixed emotions, do they not? We are amazed by the feat of Samson's strength. At the enemy temple, Samson achieved his greatest victory over the Philistines. But it came at a costly price. He died along with the Philistines. While it was a heroic act of self-sacrifice, it is still ir ironic that he killed more of his enemies at his death than while he was alive, full of strength. As you look at the last moment of Samson's life, and I'm sure some of you might have already noticed, Samson serves as a foil to Christ. What is a foil? A foil is a person or thing that contrasts with and so emphasizes and enhances the quality of another. It's something that's opposite to something else to show the greatness of the other. A foil does in a negative way what a type does in a positive way. A type is a person or thing symbolizing or exemplifying the ideal or defining characteristics of something. The Old Testament sacrificial system 
the Passover lamb, these were all types of Jesus Christ. But Samson's death served as a foil for Jesus' death. Both Samson and Jesus died as a deliverer, but their deaths were different in so many ways. Samson was captured by the Philistines against his will, though as a result of his own folly. Jesus allowed the religious leaders and the Romans to arrest him because his time had come to die for the salvation of his people, not because of his sin or his folly, which he had none. Samson's dying prayer was for his personal vengeance. Jesus' dying prayer was for the forgiveness of others, even for those who were crucifying him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Samson wished to die with the Philistines. Let me die with the Philistines. Jesus died for his enemies. God shows his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. With his death, Samson killed 3,000 Philistines. With his death, Jesus saved all his people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Interestingly, when Peter preached for the first time after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, how many souls were saved? 3,000 souls were saved. What a dramatic contrast. Samson's killing ministry and Jesus' saving ministry. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, he brought glory and honor to his heavenly Father. And God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And his self-sacrificial love brought salvation to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And by purchasing us with his precious life of infinite value, Jesus bestowed on us unimaginable value and worth. Who are we that he should be willing to exchange his infinite value, the li his life of infinite value, with our life? But by doing that, he affirmed, he exalted our value to be so precious to God that he was willing to sacrifice his own life to save us. And so we are valuable to God in an unimaginable way. And even today, I want to remind you of that glorious fact. How then should we respond? Let's start. Let's start with giving God the sincerest, sincerest praise and gratitude. Even as we continue our worship, I hope that you will stir up a spirit of gratitude and praise to God for all that He has done for you. Should we not treasure Him and His presence more than how the people of the world treasure their position, possession, privilege, and power? And also, let us be loving, forgiving, and gracious people. 
not a vengeful, unforgiving people. This is not because justice doesn't matter, but because it matters. Paul said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for this written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. We live in the age of grace, after which will come the day of judgment, on which God will execute his perfect justice. Because this is true, we are called to extend love and forgiveness to others in the name of Jesus Christ so that we could invite them to God's forgiveness and God's salvation. And when trouble comes, let us not forget our wonderful Savior and His wonderful salvation. If you find these troubles difficult to bear, cry out to God. Cry out to God in humility to remember you for the sake of Christ. Cry out to God to remember you knowing that God will never forget you. You may lose your memory and forget who you are, but God will never forget you. And when his time comes, he will arise and act on your behalf so that he can preserve you until the day when your redemption will be complete. When your redemption will find its glorious fruition, when you shall be perfected and glorified before the presence of God in that eternal kingdom of God. Even as God will never forget you, let us remember God, our wonderful Savior, and all of his benefits to you in the past, in the present, and all the blessings that God will bring to you in the future, and eternally so in the glorious heaven. Keep this in mind and live this coming week and the rest of your life so that when you die and offer up your last prayer, it will not be for yourself or for your vengeance, but it will be for the glory of God, for the benefit of others, even as Jesus prayed for us as he was dying as our wonderful Savior. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we give you thanks and praise for our wonderful Savior who gave himself so generously, completely for our salvation. Oh Lord, humble us to know that we desperately need your grace. Humble us to know that we are not self-sufficient, but we are utterly dependent on you. But help us, Lord, to rejoice that when we cry out to you, you will hear us and you will remember us and you will act on our behalf according to your power and wisdom for your glory and for our good. Lord, waiting is difficult. Many of us in that period of waiting and many of us may feel like Samson in that 
prison in Gaza. But Lord, we thank you that our fate has been transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us or abandon us. We thank you, Lord, that you know us and you love us. Let this bring great joy and delight. The light of this wonderful promise, may it dispel the darkness of our despair and sorrow and fear and worry. Help us know that your grace is sufficient for us each day. And may that grace empower us to live not as we used to while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but help us to live by the righteousness and power of Christ's resurrection life, the new and glorious life, by the help of the Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.